and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are moved again! Hello there and welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast on Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Lauren Campbell and Logan Mullen. I'm already off to a hot start. How are you guys doing? Hanging in Lovely. there. Um, not a lot to talk about this week. Like I, I feel like I've been saying that somewhat frequently uh, <laughs> and within recent weeks, but there truly is not a lot to talk about. Uh, Bruins, uh, like many other teams uh, across the NHL, have run into the uh, the COVID bud. They, uh, Senor Coco is uh, knocking on the door. Um, a growing list of guys on the COVID-19 list has, has caused the Bruins to uh, not play hockey. Their last game was Thursday, March 18th. We are recording this on the 24th, a Wednesday. They are scheduled to play Thursday night. That is yet to be determined, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like that we can't say for sure that that game will happen. Um, we can't even say for sure if the Bruins are going to practice today. They're supposed to practice Wednesday morning. Uh, it is now Wednesday afternoon. We don't know how that's going to go down. So that's a long way of saying we're flying a little blind here, but we'll do what we can to kind of touch on some topics. Uh, uh, you know, once again, kind of look forward to looking forward to the trade deadline and kind of kicking some ideas around there. Some updates on injuries as well that might affect that conversation um, too. But uh, does anybody have anything they want to get off their chest regarding the Bruins uh, COVID battle right now? I, it just seems pretty self-explanatory, but I don't know if you guys have any blazing hot takes about the state of uh, the NHL and the Bruins in the midst of a pandemic. Nope. nope. No blazing hot takes. I except maybe I have no clue why they played that Thursday game against Buffalo. Yeah. That to me was just inexplicable because they knew Sean Corrali tested positive we've seen in how many leagues now where it seems like they're fine because only one guy tests positive and there's the whole incubation period. Like that, that's a mistake that you would think leagues would be making back in like July when they were first testing this out. Um, but they knew Corrali tested positive. They went ahead and played anyway. It looks like it turned out mostly okay for the Sabres, but if I were Buffalo, I would be, monumentally pissed and, and it's not even the Bruins fault necessarily it's the league's call because while it's only one of you guys um, and everyone else was deemed to not be a close contact and then when you know it a day later four more tests positive so I just don't know why they thought it was okay to play the game last Thursday especially too when this has happened before throughout the season when like you said Logan one person tests positive they play the game and then it just seems to crumble down and more teams get affected. And this is exactly how longer pauses happen. This is how it spreads throughout clubs. And I, same thing. I don't know why the game was played and um, it's kind of a little concerning. That's three 30 right now. And they have yet to say anything about practice, anything about the test or anything. So I guess we'll just wait and see at this point. In a vacuum, you guys are probably right. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to defend that decision to play last Thursday. And my only thing would be we've, we've seen players go on the COVID list all, all season, really. I mean, and not have it result in widespread issues. You know, I mean, you can count, you can count on one hand that the amount of teams that have had their seasons upended like the Bruins have. I mean, it's the Bruins, it's the Sabres, the Canadians stars. 
stars. So maybe you need two hands, but still it, it's not, I don't know. Like I, I see you guys are probably right. And you, I think you do have to play it safe in a pandemic, which is uh, you want to talk about hot takes. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It just, it seems like you got to take some risks, I guess. That's not a great, that doesn't sound great as it comes out, but like, <laughs> I think we all kind of know what everybody's getting into here. I mean, I, I, that might sound like crass or callous, but like at the end of the day, I'm not the one trying to have a hockey season in the middle of the pandemic. So I can always just turn around and blame the professional sports leagues anyway for my, you know, no matter what, I'm not the one running a, a sports league in the middle of the pandemic. So. I would just be like the person I think of that would have a right to be miffed would be like Stephen Camper, who opted out of the bubble over concerns. And now he's traveling with the Bruins and well, <laughs> that could have been bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> saw Mike Collins just drop his water all over his keyboard. Um, but you know, he, he had family concerns uh, from a health perspective and then he decided it was fine enough to play. And then, you know, the NHL strong arming them into games when they know that somebody on the, it's not like Corrali was playing. If Corrali had tested positive and they're like, Oh, maybe it's a false positive. We'll right. Play. That's one thing, but it's just, I don't know. It, it's dicey. It, yeah. I, you're right. But like, I, it's just, I mean, this is a much bigger conversation that we, it makes no sense to have in this place, but like, I don't know. I, it's weird because like these guys are they they should have the right to like make a living and do what they do for a job, but they also know the consequences as well. So I don't know. I I feel like I'm coming off far more insensitive than I mean to be. So basically, I'm just looking for a life raft at this point. Conspiracy, Cole? No, it's just I don't know. I mean, they the, you can see like if you in hindsight, especially you could see why they've tried to put their head down because this is not good for anybody especially as it pertains to the Bruins in terms of looking forward, obviously health is the biggest concern, but like if they play Thursday, that's 28 games in 45 days coming up. That's insanity. Um, and so you can kind of see, like it just takes one little hiccup in the schedule to throw everything, you know, kind of haywire, which again is kind of what you get when you try to play a 56 game season in the middle of a pandemic. But um, I can kind of see why they might try to, put their head down when they think they can I, I guess that's my only real point is until you have an outbreak you kind of just plow through it which is probably asking for more trouble than it's worth but that's kind of where I feel like they are coming from maybe I'm wrong um the optics are just bad like well, but like I guess my point is, is like how bad would the optics be if it was just Corrali and nothing else came of it fine right people would yeah. say oh well it was precautionary and I get it from the Bruins perspective too like except for we have no clue what happened with Coolman at the beginning of the year but DeBrus missed a game and it was a false positive Charlie Coyle missed right. a game and it was a false positive like they've been through this before yeah and I guess the difference is is you know it's not a false positive <laughs> yeah that kind of changes the situation but you don't know until you know so <sighs> it's I'm getting tired it's We've been doing, we've been having this, Logan, this conversation feels like it could have been like straight out of last April. You know what I mean? Like we've been doing this for a year. It's just, it's yeah. exhausting at this point. Um, 
but hopefully there's going to be hockey sooner than later. Uh, in terms of injury updates, I mean, we can go through. This is kind of like when a, the uh, you know NFL team has a short week and they have to put out an injury report for like what they would have if they if they had practiced. This is what the injury report would have looked like. If the Bruins practice Wednesday, Tuka Rask was maybe expected to practice. That's a positive step in his uh, path back to a return. Um, Jared Tenorti was maybe on track to play Thursday if he practiced on Wednesday. Um, you know, Brandon Carlo, Jeremy Lazan, Zach Sanishin all skated while the team was in Buffalo. Long way of saying they're getting healthy. So I guess if you want to look for a silver lining is that they, these guys are closer to returns and have not missed two additional games. So um, I, I don't know what there is for you guys to respond to, to what I just said. I mean, we're, this is the, the reality of the situation. Um, anybody willing to, to turn uh, this uh, COVID scare into a positive? <laughs> no pun intended. No. Okay. <laughs> I, um, Again, like it's hard to say. Like I, I, Logan, you and I kind of talked about this. They better hope they get Rask back sooner than later. I think that's something that does stand out. Is that this went from like this isn't a huge issue. We don't want to put him on a plane to like yeah maybe he can practice on Wednesday. We're hoping two weeks later. Um, at what point do we get concerned with Tuka Rask? I guess is the is the question here. I think if he doesn't play Wednesday, uh, Thursday or Saturday, I think if it's, I think that's yeah, when that's fair. Yeah, if you if we get through next this coming weekend and he doesn't play, that is yeah, ring the alarm bells. And it's if it's still discomfort or whatever, it's like, well, then what's the level of discomfort? Like, is he actually injured or is he just bothered by something? This yeah. is what happened with Kevin Miller too, because Kevin Miller didn't go on the Tahoe trip. And it's almost verbatim the same thing they said about Tuka Rask, which is, oh, we just don't want to put him on a plane. We figure it's better if he gets a few days back at the facility to kind of rest. And all of a sudden, it's Kevin Miller's knee is barking again. And it's been, what, a month now? We haven't seen Kevin Miller play. I don't know. At a certain point, you just got to – I got the whole upper body, lower body thing. You have to have some sort of diagnosis. And, and I feel – like that has been particularly bad this year. Like Andre Kasha still hasn't, he has a presumptive concussion, right? The three of us can sit here and say he probably has a concussion. Yeah. It's still an upper body injury. John Moore's had like 45 what's wrong with John this Moore? year. Yeah. And we have no clue what's wrong with John Moore. John Moore just had surgery. What? Yeah, John Moore just had surgery. Why? On what? I, I don't know. Could have had his gallbladder taken out. I mean, we know. <laughs> um, that's invasive. That is. Yeah, it's a it's a fair point. I and it hockey is notoriously tight when it comes to this stuff. I think there's even less incentive in a season like this to give out any sort of injury information. So you just do what you have to do and you go from there. Um at some point though, you'd probably like some concrete answers on Rask, because I I don't know. It's just they've gotten by and they'll, I think they can continue to get by, but you know, this is, like I said, going on two weeks at a certain point, you have to start wondering about like long-term, not like, is he chronically injured, but like you have to start thinking about the playoffs and the stretch run and kind of where you're at. I mean, the trade deadline is coming up. Are you in the market for a goalie all of a sudden? I don't think they're at that point. I feel like we'd probably know more about Tukarask injury if they, you know what I mean? Like, 
if they were in the market for a goalie, we probably would have already known by now that Tuca has like a slip disc or something like that, or right. you know, you know what I mean, that type of deal. So he even looked know. like he was in pain in that Devils game. So are we just? I mean, <laughs> he was holding his back, right? Like, right. He was definitely holding his back. Um. So I that that lingers, right? Like that's. That is an issue. So yeah, but if it was such a big issue, I feel like enough goalies have. I, I could be. This is purely anecdotal, but I feel like enough goalies have passed through waivers where they probably could have done something right. Like Anton Forsberg's already yeah. gone through. I, I guess Ottawa claimed him, so the Bruins weren't getting that claim. But if they wanted a goalie, they probably could have gone out and done it by now. Yeah. I, yeah. Probably. And you know what? They, they probably feel like they don't need to. <laughs> I, I do, How do we feel about Vladar? Like, Lauren, I don't know. Would this, I mean, we are getting like way down a path that probably they don't even need to go down, but would you feel confident with Vladar and Halak for like the next three to four weeks if need be? Yeah, I think so. I think that Vladar does a fine job. And I think if that's who we have to deal with for, like you said, three to four weeks, hypothetically, and just ride that part out. I mean, they're both capable of winning. They're both strong goalies. So, and at some point, Vladar is probably going to be with the Bruins full-time. You'd, you'd suspect that anyway. So give him a chance. Maybe he's not completely NHL ready right now, but he's going to have to get reps in sooner or later. So just ride it out. I don't think it's worth going to claim a goalie or trade for a goalie if you have reliable ones in your own system. Yeah, if you don't have two grass for the playoffs, you're in big trouble anyway so right i'm with you guys um well and you're not acquiring anybody that's gonna fill that hole right like it, it'll be just no, like no, last no, no. Year well you like hope. you you know it if you know if 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 you knew tuca was out for the season i i i still think you just end up going with like you know halak and vladar and just kind of yeah. deal with it like i you know even in if you wanted to make a move i think it's to go out and get a backup that you think is more like an, a legitimate NHL backup, which is no disrespect to Dan Vladar. Just like, we don't know. You know, just, he hasn't done that. I'm trying to think of like the 2000, you know, like the 2009 or whatever trade version of going out and getting like Manny Fernandez, like that type of, <laughs> right. yeah, which is awesome by the way. Um, yeah. Manny Fernandez is nice. So there is a big, they have a ton of organizational depth and goal. Right. So acquiring a goalie does create a really weird trickle down effect too, because they, because it looked like they were considering playing Swayman. Yeah. uh, If not Vladar. So that means when Rask is healthy, you have Rask, Halak, Vladar and Swayman that you could play in the NHL. They've got Callum Booth and Kyle Kaiser in the AHL. So if you go out and claim a guy or trade for a Jonathan Bernier type, then all of a sudden you're pushing a bunch of guys down the depth chart. And if, if you think it will actually make you better then you do it. Right. But Vladar is probably NHL ready, like as close to NHL ready as he's going to get. He's hardly playing in the AHL because he's always up and down between the taxi squad and the AHL and now the NHL. So I don't know, maybe it's sink or swim time. We've seen young goalies before pop in and go on run. Jordan Bennington, right? Yeah. Not to say Dan Vladar is going to be the next Jordan Bennington, but 
sometimes teams have been put in that position. So who knows? Um, on that point, I mean, as we speak, Tukaras could be on the ice at Warrior, refining and retooling everything in time for Thursday night. So <laughs> yeah, that, which is knowing our luck, probably what's going to happen. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, and you know, in case of emergency, break the uh, goalie Bob glass and just suit up Bob Asenza. That would be fun. Like let's get Raycroft. Raycroft, yes. Now we're talking. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do a little trade talk. Is what else are we going to talk about? Um, it's getting to be that time of year. Uh, we're about what two weeks away from the deadline, two and a half weeks away. Uh, I don't even know what date today is. Three. It's like yeah. Three. Yeah. Two and, two and change. Forgot what point of the week we we're at. So that's a good sign. Um, where do you want to start, Logan? I know you've kind of been down this well on uh, Bruins potential trade targets on Nesson.com. Sounds like the two big names are Matthias Elkholm from Nashville and Connor Garland out of the desert. Uh, I These are two fairly different circumstances, but I could see why either of them would be uh, attractive to the Bruins. Why don't you run down the Eckholm situation first? Well, so the Eckholm situation, they'd kind of been linked to for a while. And then last night on TSN's Insider Trading, Pierre Lebrun said that the Predators wanted a three-asset trade for Eckholm, which was a first-round pick, an elite prospect, and then another asset. So it could be a roster player, could be another draft pick, or could be another prospect. It's a steep ask, but at the same time, Eckholm is on a very team-friendly deal. He's a legitimate top four, if not top-pairing defenseman, and he has term on his deal. He's signed through next year. So they're in kind of a position of leverage, especially as the Blackhawks flame out a little bit, where Nashville now looks like a team that might actually be able to make the playoffs. And do you really want to start selling all sorts of pieces? So they're asking for a huge haul, which I would think might be to the point where it would turn the Bruins off. I like the idea of Ekholm, but they may be better off going the depth defenseman route unless they really want to start swinging for the fences. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Lauren. Um, I'm right there with you. I don't think it's worth bringing him in. I know we've had this conversation before in previous episodes, but I think the price is too high and I just don't think there's really a good fit for him in, in the Bruins organization anyway. It's I, not a deal I would do. I mean, for just about anybody who's available, I don't think I would be doing that just because that's, it's way too much of a price to pay for a team that, also needs to have one eye on the future, which is kind of what Don Sweeney talked about this week, you know, and it's very Sweeney-esque nebulous terms talking about the balance of approaching a trade deadline with where his team is right now. He's very good, by the way, at saying a lot of stuff without actually saying anything. And I admire it. It is, Yeah, like it's, it's, it's what somebody in his position should be doing. Um, and you know, I think it was, it might've been Matt Porter who wrote about this in the globe this week too, is like, he was talking about Ekholm especially, but there's a, a balancing act that you have to do this year with the expansion draft coming up as well. And it's, you know, that goes both ways, right? So like, if you're trading for a guy like Ekholm, you're obviously keeping him, or even if you're trading for Garland, you're keeping him. And that's, you know, that that's another guy into your expansion mix. I kind of look at it the other way. And it's like, 
maybe I'd be a little bit more, you know, likely to deal, if not roster players, prospects, if you can get, you know, if they, if teams covet those guys, because you're going to have too many people at a certain point, right? My, my crazy. No. And they're playing so many of the young guys too, that they're going to run into the situation. I think before the year's over where Frederick will probably be expansion draft eligible as a Borrell, uh, Lozon probably will be like this youth movement with the timing of it. They position themselves to have a lot of guys be expansion draft eligible. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a consideration as well. Um, in that regard, I think I, and for fit wise, I might be far more interested in, in chatting with, uh, with, with the coyotes about Connor Garland. Like, I think, I think that I've come to the point where I think scoring of any sort, is the number one priority. I talked about this last week. You know, I, I think I'd rather be looking at a, a rental winger who can find the net, be in the same area code as the net. Um, so that's something I would try to do. Garland makes sense from a long-term standpoint because the contract's fine. What is he making, like 800K this year? And then he's, uh, I think he's an RFA or, you know, ARB eligible. Precisely. I, yeah. Um, What's the cost going to look like there, Logan? I know you kind of tried to figure I, that out. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to what the so this is the whole thing is going to be. This was Elliot Freeman reported this one in Thirty One Thoughts this week, right? Right. Okay. It, because the so the Coyotes are under no obligation to move him, obviously, because he's been good, and so they're probably going to want decent roster players in return like they're trying to shed cap space but Connor Garland isn't a guy that you get rid of for cap casualty purposes that, that's when you trade Oliver Ekman Larson right so I think they're gonna want something pretty steep for Connor Garland which is fine but if I'm the Bruins first of all this is Connor Garland's third season it was last year that he really broke out there's a part of me where if I'm Don Sweeney, I almost would rather hold on tight and hope that Jake DeBrusque finds a stride and I'm not giving up likely a first round pick and prospects like it's say the Eckholm package, right? The Eckholm package, but for Connor Garland, I'd rather just hope that Jake DeBrusque can pan out and be the, you know, 50 point guy we think he can be. And still have my first round pick intact, as opposed to trading for someone like Connor Garland, who no doubt is a good player, but might end up forcing me to mortgage the future a little bit. I don't know. It's a tough dance. Lauren? Yeah, I can be convinced of the asking price for him just because the Bruins desperately need secondary scoring. He certainly could provide that. And I mean, I know that it's, it's hard not to want to give up on Jake DeBrusque just because of the potential of surrounding him and the flashes that we've seen of him. But at this point, it's the same story from last year. It's the same story from two seasons ago is that they don't have secondary scoring and that the top line is really carrying this team. So I think, obviously, I, I wouldn't want to give up too, too much. And I know the asking price would be a little steep, but I think I could be convinced even to get him in Boston as a rental because we desperately need that secondary scoring. We need that help. And the Bruins need to, to figure it out because they're in danger of losing that fourth playoff spot. Yeah. I, uh, the Bruins are practicing today. Are they? Seven mm-hmm. o'clock tonight. Of course. That's sick. So that's like, uh, 
What did I tell you? I said they're, they'll have it in before four. That's like old school. Like, you know, got ring time at seven. Yeah. <laughs> right. They probably had to boot out a peewee game to get yeah. to practice. <laughs> yeah. I feel better. Some, well, I guess that probably is not happening. Not, I was going to say somebody's company skate just got postponed <laughs> at the Warrior thing. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's, that's an encouraging development, by the way, regarding practice. Like, <laughs> that means you're not practicing if you're not playing tomorrow right yeah right? and if you're not going to be cleared to play exactly you're not practicing if this has somehow gotten worse um but i i think they've they, it was actually pretty interesting i don't know the the lengths at which they went to to keep these guys isolated with car services and everything back from buffalo what a i just kept thinking of like for some reason like home alone too but just you know <laughs> sean corrali with a cheese pizza driving back from Buffalo or whoever. Um, I, yeah, I, it feels like this happens every year. Like, it's just, it's, it's fun to talk about the deadline stuff. Um, it's that time of the year. I, and just, I think this season there's, there's a, a need there. And I think for me, it is that anything with secondary scoring, I would be, and that's why, that's, I think the biggest reason that actually might be the biggest reason I'm out on Eckholm unless the price drops, you know, precipitously, because, you know, he could help you offensively, but you're, you're paying for the, you know, for a defenseman there. And that's not something I'd be looking to do. Um, I do think it's interesting. I was, as I was do, gathering my notes, at what point do you think Don Sweeney is gun shy or is he, I mean, I, I would, if I'm a Bruins fan, I'm certainly hoping he's not, but like he's made a couple of pretty big deadline moves the last few years, whether it's, training for Rick Nash or Andre Kasha and they've kind of bit him in the butt. I, if I'm, like I said, if I'm a Bruins fan, I'm hoping that doesn't get in the way, but that has to be part of the consideration as well too. Right. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, Nash and Kasha, I mean, they're both, they both got hurt. So it's not like they were busts and, or, I mean, I thought, I, I thought Nash fit in pretty well here. Um, I think it's too soon to say about Kasha and haven't really been able to see much of him, but I mean, yeah, the last two big trades that were supposed to help with that certainly are our cause for pessimism around what the trade like deadline could bring, but it's not like they came in here and just didn't do anything. I mean, Rick Nash, I think it was, and like, ended up being like concussions that ended his career, but so I don't know, but like, like I said, those, those two guys, I wouldn't call them bus and I don't know. I just don't think it's really Sweeney's fault that they were hurt. Well, and then the Nash thing, I do think scared the crap out of Sweeney in retrospect, because he was like on the record saying he didn't want to get rid of a first round pick again. Um, and, you know, who could really help the Bruins right now is Ryan Lindgren, who was the defensive prospect he traded away in that. Sure, but like and, and the Kasha thing, the, the, the fact that they even got Andre Kasha, I kind of consider a plus because that was a cap dump move. Um, they were just trying to get out of that David Backus contract. Yeah, um, I mean, they Kasha did come with injury concerns, right? This was not. Yeah, that was nothing new. He had a head injury history. Yeah, but I mean, but he's yeah, also had trades work out. That's the thing, I, is, right? I also think like, it's unfair to even bring up Lindgren. Like, I, your point is well taken, but like, what if they had won the Stanley Cup that year? Yeah, <laughs> they did it, well, but like, that's a that's a risk you can take, right? There, there were bigger issues with that team than just sure. Rick Nash not being around. Um, but I mean, he, he had two trades that worked out very well for him in 2019 
with Johansson and Charlie Coyle. And that's the Charlie Coyle trade is where I end up landing on the possibility of trading Jake DeBrusque, where they had some promising flashes with Ryan Donato, but he was getting healthy scratched. Things were starting to look a little bit dicey. And they said, you know what? We're going to plug our nose, take a risk, trade away a local kid. It helped that they got a local kid in return, but it panned out just fine. And it's because Ryan Donato really, he didn't pan out the wild. He's been, you know, nondescript with the sharks and Joe Hansen panned out well too. And all they gave up were, what was it? A second and a fourth or a second and a fifth. So for one, I think the potential secondary scoring that the Bruins might get, we don't even know if that player is out there, right? Marcus right. Johansson wasn't on anybody's radar at the time. Uh, and he was playing for a crappy Devils team. So That's a good point. Like, Sweeney has gone off the – well, seemingly off the board a lot. Like, when he makes moves, it's usually for guys that – like, the Nash thing was the only one that was like, that seems like a deal that they should go make, and they did it. Like, the Kasha thing just came out of nowhere. Yeah, right. And and the fact, too, that they got rid of Bacchus, like at that point, they had put him on waivers. Like he was just waiting for yeah. reassignment at the time. So he does kind of come out of nowhere. The coil one, I think a lot of people saw coming. But even last year, like he, the, the Bruins were rumored to have offered a, I, maybe it wasn't a first rounder. That was what kept him from doing it. But they went after Blake Coleman, uh, who wasn't a huge, like, you know, TSN trade bait type guy. Right. But he, he was a depth piece that a lot of teams said, oh, maybe we can pry him away from the Devils. And not that we have to go back down this rabbit hole again, but like how many teams right now are actual sellers, especially ones that are in the United States where you don't have to deal with the quarantine? Yeah, there's a lot. It, it's going to be tricky. Sweeney touched on that. It's something that, you know, when, like even a week from now, we'll know a lot better because the, these games are going to come, you know, it's, it's a log jam now for the Bruins and just about everybody else. So, I think the the market will start to, you know, materialize a little bit quicker and we'll kind of have a better idea every week from now on. But again, this was kind of a tough week because we didn't have a whole lot else to talk about. So we're going to speculate. Um, I got nothing else. You guys, you guys good? Speaking I'm awesome. for all your pieces. All right. Let's get out of here. Um, hopefully there'll be uh, actual hockey to talk about next week. Um, for Lauren and Logan, I'm Mike. Uh, this has been Ness and Bruins Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Catch you again next week. See you.